Fight Owl Nation, you are now listening to the Owl Chat Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Kennesaw State Athletics, with your hosts, Kai Millette and John Finer. Welcome to the Owl Chat Podcast, Longwood Postgame Edition for Week 3. I'm being joined today by my co-host and producer, Nick Massaroni, and also two former Kennesaw State outfielders. But first off, uh, producer Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited to be on. Uh, It's been a second, so uh, I'm really just ready to talk some Owls baseball, but I want to hear these intros that you have prepared. Yeah, man, nothing nothing too special, but let's first start off with introducing our first guest. It's Alex Carballo. He was the Kennesaw State center fielder from 2019 to 2021. He amassed 15 homers and 73 RBIs with a .916 OPS and played, uh, as I mentioned, played center field. Uh, how's it going, Alex? Thanks for joining us. Doing well, doing well. I know, uh, I think I was slated to come on last weekend, which would have been a fun one. Um, but, I mean, it's always good to talk baseball. Uh I mean, came around, came out with two W's this weekend, but um, look forward to talking on the rest of the weekend, yeah. um, the rest of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, what have you been up to since you left KSU? You know what? Like everyone else, you find a job and uh, you kind of find yourself further and further away from the game. But uh, I mean, platforms like this are awesome to, you know, get back into it and talk some ball with some old friends, some old teammates and people that actually, um, you know, love the program. So um should be fun. Yeah, man. I, I found after trying to get guests on the show, the key to getting guests on the Owl Chat podcast is just to annoy the living shit out of them via text message. <laughs> and eventually they will join you. So that is that is the goal. Um, up next is somebody a little bit more recent in the program. Uh, played, what, uh, seven seasons approximately for KSU, mostly in the corner outfield. Uh, experimented a little bit at first base, but I'm sure he doesn't want us to talk about that. He was part of the Owls 2022 regional team and was also a member of the 2023 team last season. So he knows a lot of the players and is very familiar with Coach Coe and Coach Sansing. Um, He is the Owls Division I all-time leader in both single season and also career on base percentage, sixth in runs scored, third in hit by pitches. So I had to throw that in there. And he also broke the D1 record uh, for most walks in a season last year, broke it by 11, and is tied with Chris McGowan for most walks in KSU history. He is now coaching at North Paulding High School, where he played ball. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, Nick. Yeah, John, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk about what went on this weekend and be joined with this crew and be back with Carbio. Uh, good memories with him. A lot of good memories. Um, and I'm just excited to be involved still with the team after walking away, but not from the sport, but, you know, from college and just talking about it. I'm glad and thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming and joining us. Uh, before we get started, though, I have one more thing for you, Nick. Um so you wore number 34 your whole career until the last season, which was after Josh Hatcher wore that number. Were you like trying to be like Josh Hatcher? Were you hoping people wouldn't notice the difference since you're both lefty when you stepped in the box? <laughs> what 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 was up with that? All right. So I'll give you the full breakdown. So before Kennesaw, I was 13 my whole life. Um that's back in North Paulding. But um, when I got in, there was a slim pick in the numbers that Coach Fowler offered me. It was like the number Jared Ryan had, which I think is a hideous number, and uh, 34, which was a massive jersey. 
But um, I was a big fan of Bryce Harper, and I know he flipped the three in Philly, but I was like, well, I'll be 34 here in the meantime. So I decided to be on 34, and then um, I remembered asking Josh, I said, yo, man, when you roll out, I'm taking that number. And he said, I wouldn't want anyone else to take it, so grab it and go run with it. And then that was kind of it from there. So as big, we, as big shoes to fill in. So I, I had to make sure it was good. Very big shoes to fill in. So <laughs> Darius Diaz wore, you know, the number 13 and he was the same year that you came in. Right. Yes. So they prioritized him over you. That's messed up. Right. I, I think, I think it had a little bit to do with um, recruiting at the time. I think I was one of the last to get committed in my class on PWO. So I think they prioritized money before, a guy coming in and taking a shot. So I completely understand that, but that's definitely something that's been in my mind before, but no hard feelings. Hey, and don't make me talk about Anthony Rodriguez coming in and getting it before you. But anyways, let's go on to what people really want to talk about. Uh, again, I'm just, I'm just jazzing with you, Nick. Thanks so much. No, you're good. On. Um, yeah. Josh Hatcher was one of the most legendary owls. We had him on the show last week. So if you missed it, go ahead and uh, listen to that episode. So he did a great job and we hope to have Josh back on here shortly. So we had a uh, three games versus Longwood. Uh, we won the first two. Uh, it was two on Saturday and one on Sunday due to rain. So uh, we played a doubleheader. The first game was seven innings. Uh, the second game on Saturday was nine innings. We won both of those, and then we lost the uh, finale on Sunday afternoon. Uh, before we talk too much about the game, I just want to kind of go to Nick or Alex, whoever wants to take this one. Um, it was a seven-inning game. Does that have a different vibe or feel or different urgency to it than a nine-inning game? Um, <clears throat> I guess I'll get started, but uh, I think – Seven inning games are a little different, um, especially in college when you know you kind of have a game following the next day. Uh, I feel like in a nine inning game, you kind of have that lull between, especially with slow games like this weekend, um, that lull between the third to sixth inning. Um, but again, I mean, when a seven inning game comes on, like the end of the game is approaching fast in the fourth inning, right? So uh, I think that's the biggest difference. The sense of urgency, sense of urgency comes a little sooner. Um, just because, I mean, you know, you have a 14 innings of baseball that day. Um, it, it, you might not come out as fired up. I mean, I, I think I'm going to probably talk on it a little later, but um, you might not just come out as fired up if you have 14 innings ahead. So, um, yeah, I don't know what Nick thinks. You know, um, it goes quick. Like you said, that's the first thing that came to my mind. You blink and you're like, oh, oh shit, three outs away. Like we got, we got to make three outs and score in this situation that didn't happen, but you blink and it comes quick. Um, and strategy comes into play. You don't want to burn relievers in a seven in game. Cause it, like I said, it's just the, the pace is so quick and it's funny because you play seven innings your whole life until you get to college and you forget how quick those games go. But obviously, if you have a starting pitcher cruising and rolling, um, that can really set you up for game two. And I thought Osbolt did a pretty good job. But we'll, we'll we'll talk about that later when we get into game one. But just the pace of play. And I will say that when you start with the seven and go to a nine, it's kind of like a big eye roll. You're like, oh, now the long one. Like, you wish you can get that out of the way and then go to seven. But... It is what it is. Um, it goes quick. And obviously 
if it's good in this first seven, the next nine game two is pretty fun. Like there's something to look forward to, but I remember there was a time with the seven inning with Liberty, you get your teeth kicked in. It's like, well, now I got nine innings with these guys. And I don't think we lost the nine inning game, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So they talked about it on the broadcast and they mentioned if that game is tied, you play, if a game's tied in seven, you play the nine in the first game. And then the second game becomes seven innings, right? That's right. That how that works. Correct. So it's basically yeah. just like an innings thing. So again, there's what's the point of playing extra innings in seven if you can play nine. And then, um, so that's kind of like the fallback option if that were to happen. Uh, fortunately, it didn't happen, but it's just weird. It's it's all those like little nitty gritty, like underlying rules you don't hear about until it happens. But I just I've don't even have to roll that. your eyes. I like that. Yeah, no, you're <laughs> right. Were, maybe maybe get the longer game out of the way first. Let's play nine and nine. I mean, come on. What are we? Ten years old? Let's go. We got, we got two <laughs> catchers on the roster. These guys too much. Come on. Come on. What? They're not catching both games. We got one for Posey, one for Hassan. People can stand around. We got reserves. Let's go, boys. Come on. We're college athletes here. Uh, but no, let's get right into this. No, uh, they're college athletes here. We're not college athletes. <laughs> I was a college athlete in my own mind. Um, on Twitter? Yeah. I, I, was Twitter <laughs> around back then? Um, so getting into the game summary, uh, as we mentioned, this was a seven-inning game because of the first leg of the doubleheader. Braden Osbalt was on the mound for KSU uh, after pitching six shutout innings last week against Clemson. Longwood opened the scoring with one in the second, added one in the third, and two in the fourth to take a 4 nothing lead. In the bottom of the fifth, Owl shortstop Shamar McDuffie led off with a single from the nine spot. Braden Edson followed up with a single of his own. Isaac Bowden hit an opposite field double, scoring McDuffie for the Owls' first run of the game and made it second and third with no outs for Donovan Cash. That made it 4-1 to one Longwood. Cash grounded out, scoring Edson, moved Bowden to third, made it a 4-2 Owls deficit with, runners on, with a runner on third and one out. Longwood uh, went to the bullpen again, walked Chirillo to make it corners and one out for the red-hot Nick Hassan. Hassan hit a sack fly, scoring Bowden from third to cut the Longwood lead to one run in a 4-3 game. Then Ryan Coe decided to pinch hit the big bat of Spencer Hansen for the struggling Nate Anderson with Chirillo on first and two outs. Chirillo stole second with Hansen in the dish, and then Hansen hit a single to a center to tie the game at four. So it was a 4-4 game after five innings. Freshman Ryan Renfro pitched a scoreless top of the sixth. In the bottom of the inning, Longwood easily retired the first two Owls with ease. Then freshman Shamar McDuffie lined one off the pitcher's backside for an infield hit. See how politically correct I am? I said backside. Uh, McDuffie proceeded to steal second and and reach third on the throwing error by the catcher. Braden Edson hit a two-out single to center as McDuffie easily trotted home to give the Owls a 5-4 lead through six. In the seventh inning, closer Tanner Franklin came in, struck out the first two, gave up a single, and then got Campanelli, who was hitting over 500 on the year, to ground out to the pitcher to end it. That's a 5-4 victory in game one, Owls win. Um, quick stat recap, Oswald did not have his best stuff, but gave us enough to win. His final line was five innings, eight hits, one walk, hit by pitch, four runs, all earned on 95 pitches with 71 strikes. Um, in the one hole, Braden Edson was three for three with a run, one RBI and two steals. Bouton hit behind him was two for four with an RBI double. Freshman Shamar McDuffie, who struggled mightily at the plate until the midweek against JSU, was two for two with a walk, stolen base, and scored the game-winning run. 
Left fielder Jamar uh, Jamari Brooks was an unsung hero in the field, but I guess since KSU announcer Trey Fowler made him his player of the game, that would make him a sung hero. Uh, in the third inning, he made a sliding catch with runners on the corners with two outs to end the inning. If he doesn't come up with it, then Longwood would have taken a 3-0 lead and would have been looking for more. In the fourth inning, Brooks made a catch crashing into the outfield wall with two outs and runners on second and third. This would have made it 6-0 Longwood at the time, and they would have also been looking uh, for more runs. So uh, Jamari Brooks came up big there. Uh, let's go around the room and kind of just get the first thoughts on the game. Um, Nick Colina, do you want to start? Yeah, I thought it was a good come from behind win. Um, first thing that comes to uh, thought was, you know, Osbolt came out the gates, hurling strikes, did what he needed to do to set the tempo. Um, offense, left runners on base early, kind of struggled to get that big hit, something to get them going. But um, the defense and the pitching did a good enough job to contain the deficit within four. And then uh, you kind of had that situational team hitting where um, – you know, leadoff guy gets on, double, uh, ground out to get a runner in, and then um, pinch hit hit, a uh, clutch pinch hit knock to tie the game up and kind of flip that momentum switch to get us back in that game. And it prevailed where Braden got a big hit in the sixth. So we ended in whatever, six and a, th six and a half innings. Um, it was good. Um, the bullpen was really nice to see. Um, good job out of the bullpen. It's good to see Hassan stay hot, uh, Braden staying rolling like he is, and uh, Spencer Hansen being Mr. Consistent for the Owls. Um, it was it was a good win. It was a good team yeah. win. Yeah, and I love that. Uh, we love our our four-run uh, deficits on game ones of series because we came back when UAB was up, I believe, in game one on that Friday. They were up four runs at one point, and uh, we did it there. So, you know, we, we just love putting ourselves in a hole and – uh, climbing back out, but we can't, you know, we can't keep doing that. Eventually that's going to bite us in the ass more than it already has. Um, Alex, what were your thoughts on game one? Anything, anything to add? Yeah. Speaking on the comeback wins, I feel like that was something that uh, we, we ended up doing. I mean, even if we came out with wins, right. We, we found ourselves doing way too often when I played, but um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, you highlight some of the guys, Hanson, Edson, um, Braden, you know, um, those are some of the toughest guys I've seen at the program in, in a while, you know, and it's no surprise that those guys are the ones that come out with the big hits, you know? So, um, I know you spoke on Brooks's defense. I mean, he made two nice plays and I mean, that's another guy he looks the part. Uh, so I think uh, if he can get rolling, it'd be really good for the rest of the season. I was going to say, let's talk about uh, Jamari Brooks' defense because uh, I believe in week one, it might have been UAB, might have might have been a little bit later than that. Uh, there was a play where he had to kind of dive forward and, you know, grab a ball, probably should have had it. It was kind of heading right to him a little bit. And I'm thinking, oh, man, uh, you know, uh, probably a senior player makes that catch. I'm thinking it might be a long, you know, might be a long year defensively in left field, but you know, I, you can just tell he's getting more comfortable out there. He's putting in the work. Um, I was at the UGA game uh, last year in Athens. So I'm not going to bring that one up again, but uh, you know, I, I love that, you know, he made both of these plays. He's made a play last week as well. Um, he's starting to hit better. He hit 300 last year as a freshman. He's got a bright future. Uh, Nick, yeah. you know, as you know, Jamari personally, what can you kind of tell us about him? Yeah, uh, that's something I meant to say in my summary, but it looks like with this stuff, we'll cover it anyways, like we are right now. Um, Jamari is one of the hardest workers I've played with. 
Um, there's a bunch, but he's in, I'd put him in that little category of hard workers, a kid who wants to get better, has that drive for success. He always wants more. And that's kind of that chip I've learned through being in a Kennesaw uniform that if you want to keep playing, you gotta, you gotta have that edge. Um, from what I've seen so far this year is he's definitely worked really hard in the outfield, um, obviously, and he'll be the first one to tell you. So I don't have any shame in saying it. Um, it wasn't what he wanted uh, last year, but um, based on the games I've watched this year, he is night and day of a left fielder in an owl uniform than he was last year. Like he's already leaps and bounds from where he was and he's just got to keep going. And he'd say the same thing, but like I said, with that work ethic, I mean, the, the sky's the limit. And with his age and where he's at in college, he's setting himself up for a pretty long future ahead. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of young uh, sophomore outfielders, um, did you happen to get a load of Jackson Trillo's arm on that uh, when he gunned down that runner on third? Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. He's He's got a cannon out there. He had one last year, too. Sometimes having an arm like that's your worst enemy because you want to make that big time play. And then on a base hit or something that back the runner who hit it slides in a second or something that, that costs him sometimes, but he has got a bazooka and that's one of the tools in a game that can dictate and completely change the way a game's going. And it showed uh, that first game on Saturday, I was about to say Friday, but that first game Saturday, he, uh, he let one rip and it, 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 it helped us out. I didn't and think I will say no, absolutely not. And that's, that's where it plays with that, that type of tool and going on Jamari's thing real quick. I know I'm going back again, that play that he made. And I think it was the fourth was the reason why we won that game. Uh, if that ball falls, I think a run, maybe two more score if it gets by him. And that was a completely momentum switch. And I, I tipped the cap for that. Um, that, that, that's the difference of the game right there. It allowed our offense to get in it and get a W. Yeah. Um, I will go to Alex in one second. I just want to say either of those plays as well. I know the fourth inning play at the wall got a lot of hype, but that third inning play was pretty, you know, it wasn't tremendous difficulty, but it was a difficult play. And that could have been the same result for the, you know, the potential third out there. So he did it twice. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's huge. Uh, Alex, somebody who's not afraid to play defense in the outfield. What do you got for us? Yeah, I know we're talking about two corner guys, but, uh, um, especially just defense in general. But I mean, I, I'm one to think that the corners are the hardest positions on the field. Um, and I, I was lucky enough to stay in center, but I know playing left field is not easy, especially at Kennesaw um, with that deep, with that deep alley, you know, the hard wall. Um, and also there's not much fair territory there. Um, but just generally speaking, left and right field are very, very under like, People underestimate how difficult it is to play those positions. They think that, um, you know, there's a stereotype that if you play right field, you're not the best, you're one of the worst defenders on the field. Or I know I've heard it from left field too, um, but that is not true. Like if you if you find a good left fielder or right fielder, like those are hard to come by because the ball's fading, balls are hooking, um, a ball that looks like it's going over your head can be coming at your feet because it's top spun. So um, I mean, that, that's a very hard position to you know, make strides in. So, I mean, it sounds like last year he, he might've had a couple of pickups, but I mean, early in the season, I mean, I, I've seen a couple of plays. I'm like, wow, that, that, that's, that's not hard. I mean, that's not easy. So, 
Um, I just wanted to say that because yeah. I feel like pe- people don't get the credit for playing left field, right field. I know. I mean, Haji, I mean, Garrett Hodges, I know he worked really hard in left field when I was there. And I mean, he, he left a completely, he ended his career there a completely different outfielder. Um, but having a strong corner outfield guy is very important, especially at Kennesaw uh, with that deep, with that deep alley. So um, just wanted to put that out there. And I heard, I heard that as well, Alex, you know, as somebody who has not played the outfield, but you know, there's different types of uh, spins and slices of the ball, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, and how diff, how difficult is it? Um, you know, Nick, uh, somebody who's played corner outfield, you know, if the ball's coming right at you versus, you know, you have to run to it a little bit. Is there, do you think one is a little bit harder than the other? It just depends who's hitting, I guess. If you're in left with a lefty hitting at you and he hits it in that gap, you can kind of account for the ball most of the time coming back to you. Um, if he hits it down the line, it's running away from you, which is the what is one of the hardest plays for me to make. You know, and then I had to get on my horse with some gimpy hamstrings. <laughs> it made it tough. But um, all in all, I mean, from that corner spot, the ball right at you is pretty difficult because you don't know how 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 well the hitter hit it coming from that side. Um, like like Alex said, did he top spin it? Did he did he get a piece of it and backspin it a little bit? Was it going to stay up? Wind conditions, stuff like that. Um, moving around was a little bit easier for me, but the ones right at you, um, I'm sure Alex can attest to this when he was beside me or Hatcher, if he hears this, he, he has a couple uh, fresh in his memory where the ones where you got to come in, especially at Kennesaw with the sky at times, it, 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 it can eat you up sometimes. As hard it is, to, as hard as it as it is to not get frustrated with you know a guy making like you, it's like it. When someone makes a mistake out there in left and right field, it's very easy to say, "Oh, like he should have made that play." Like I, I was really never one to like because I know it could be hard out there. So um, I think it comes down to especially for a guy like Jamari, like um, just getting more reps. I think uh, especially for me, what made the difference in playing the outfield was reading swings, you know, BP in the game, knowing who's hitting, scouting report, just like, just getting more reps, like get your eyes comfortable with what you're seeing and what, what you're telling your body to believe is happening rather than being like very, like, like a deer in headlights, you know? So, um, you want to be, you want to be making your first move as quick as possible in the right direction. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of get back to, uh, Osbalt, um, first, uh, what did you guys, you know, what did you guys see from him exactly? Alex, uh, since we got you talking, let's keep it going. Yeah, I think uh, I think he was getting a little bit deep into counts um, pretty much in the whole game. I think I'm looking at the, at the sheet. I think he ended, I think it was like five, just five flat with 95 pitches. So um, getting a little bit deep into counts, uh, I think as a hitter, I mean, I think we're getting, it's kind of what we're going through as a lineup is we're getting behind early. So if you can get ahead early, like he was doing against Clemson, I mean, he's going to have success. He's obviously the Friday night guy for a reason. So, um, and that's another thing. I think this is from a staff perspective. This is one of the better staffs I've seen, even when I was there um, Friday to Sunday, like to have Pinson going out there on a Sunday is pretty, pretty impressive. So, um, I mean, I think he, he looked good though. He has good stuff. I mean, he looks the part. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that like now I watch the games, I'm like, damn, these guys look the part now. I mean, um, they should be competing with anybody, which they did, right? I mean, that big Clemson game Friday, and then um obviously this weekend we came out with two, but I mean, would have been nice to come out with three and win a little bigger in all three games, but 
I mean, again, he looks the part. I think he's going to have a good season if he just stays yeah. ahead of hitters. Yeah, this is the best staff I could remember. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, consistency, and I think that's going to come. Um, I think Osbolt's going to be just fine. He has the stuff to be an ace. Ida has the stuff to, you know, be a very good Saturday guy, and Pinson, like you said, is perfect. going to be perfectly fine on Sunday, like we saw. It's just, you know, we didn't get the run support. So yeah. those guys are not going to be able to, you know, get the recognition. It's hard to celebrate, you know, like a loss, you know, even though Smith Pinson did great. Um, did you guys happen to catch the pitcher, Longwood's pitcher, getting hit in the head with the ball? Yeah, I actually came back to watching the game, and I like I heard I heard them talking about it, but um, I don't think that should ever. In my opinion, I don't think that should ever happen. I mean, unless he was just standing on top of the mound, like no. I mean, here, I, here's what happened. Um, I I saw yeah. it. I watched the replay. The guy, like, the pitcher, knew that there was, he was stealing, and the guy ducked down right for the catcher to throw. But then I don't know what happened. It's like he thought the ball was already released from the catcher and behind him. And he and just stood stand. up. He just stood yeah. up right into it. Um, and, you know, they mentioned on the television, Fowler mentioned like, oh, you know, this could have affected Longwood starter. You know, he was pulled after two innings and 36 pitches. Um, I looked the last two weeks and he was their Sunday and then their Saturday guy. He threw 45 and 60 pitches the prior two weeks. So, you know, obviously... I don't know if they were planning on stretching him out more. I don't know if they were just going to make him go, you know, try to get him through three or four, and they pulled him early just to be on the safe side. But they did let him stay in an inning after that happened. Um, did either of you guys, either of the Knicks, did you guys catch uh, that uh, play? I saw it. It was just weird. Um, I don't know if he, in mentally speaking, if he wanted to cut it off. Saw the. I don't. I don't know. Like I, I feel like pitchers sometimes are in a world of their own and they do their own things. And sometimes like when you're on the outside watching it, you're just like, how did that happen? Um, I, I have no idea or no like insight or kind of anywhere of like understanding of how that happens. Um, I've seen it happen before. If like a pitcher throws a pitch and his back's turned and on like the follow through and takes one on the side of the head, but this, I mean, you guys saw it that that didn't happen. Um, I don't know if we well, said he squatted down. I saw that. Um, maybe his eyes were just skipping a beat. I don't know. It was yeah. very, very weird. Yeah. And you're saying pitchers are in their own world. We have Nick Colina with his inherent anti-pitcher bias with the uh, with the takeover here. So always good for that. Uh, but let's get let's get to uh, some Owls pitchers. Uh, we had Ryan Renfro coming in to get the win in the sixth inning. He did a hell of a job, a true freshman. And Tanner Franklin, you can't say enough about that kid. Um, I believe I've heard the term maniac uh, been used mm -hmm. to describe that man. Uh, what did you see from the young relievers? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, just from a Franklin perspective, to come in and shut the door after, you know, um, taking the lead um, and just striking out two right away in that last inning, that's, that's huge. You can't, I mean, you have all the momentum. You can't allow a base runner. And I mean, he did just that. So um, when you say maniac, I just think a wild thing and him coming out of the bullpen. So um, yeah, I mean that he did a great job. Yeah. And I know uh, Nick uh, Kalina, I know you love you some Tanner Franklin, right? Yeah. Great kid. Uh, even more of an electric arm um, going off Renfro Renfro first. Um, 
He's got some electric stuff, some lively stuff out of the pen. Um, whether they use him as a setup guy or maybe like a flex closer, if Franklin's unable to go down the road, I don't know. But um, he's he's got some good stuff, and uh, I know uh, Fowler said it on the live. Sometimes the command issue, you see, he struck out the side and walked. Uh, he did strike out the side, walked one in in between that. I think it was KK walk and then another strikeout. Um, but he's got some good stuff. And then Tanner Franklin was just electric. I, I think uh, the umpires stopped by uh, not to say, hey, you know, you can't lick your hand and then grab whatever it was that was said on the broadcast. I think he was saying a couple words uh, just because I know who he is. And they were kind of saying, hey, man, like, you got to calm it down. Uh, you can't be saying that stuff. I mean, he is a lunatic in a good way. Outside the field, great guy. One of the nicest guys I've ever talked to in my life. He he take a bullet for you but um i saw a little bit when i was there and then he lost some confidence and it looks like he got it back and i'm stoked to see that and then, and then again he comes back out the next game kind of does the same thing it, it it's fun to watch like i i was air like fist pumping the air for him watching it and just seeing him the only thing i wish in this game was when when you get the last out you know, just kind of shake your catcher. I know you're so fired up in the moment that he ran off the side to meet his guys. Like, like, like I said, a maniac running off the field, but you could be a maniac on the mound the whole time. Like, Oh gosh, this guy's off the rails, but um, all in all, it was job well done. Now, did you realize, I, I know that we're not talking about this game, but uh, Franklin was one pitch shy earlier this week at Jacksonville state from the immaculate inning. He struck out the side on 10 pitches he yes was one pitch away and it was the ninth pitch i believe right mm -hmm. that it was it was yeah In insane <laughs> sounds like he has some momentum he's got to keep it going absolutely. absolutely absolutely jinx uh so what you know i went to that a little bit too soon i kind of just want to gloss over real quick uh spencer hansen had that big pinch hit for anderson driving in the tying run and we do have to give Shamar McDuffie some praise. He was kind of the catalyst that game, two for two with the walk, stolen base, and even got the uh, go-ahead run after he stole second and reached third on the throwing error, and Braden Edson drove him home. So Braden Edson, as I mentioned before, I believe it was three for three, had a huge, uh, huge day at the plate. So uh, good for him. Braden Edson, that's one of the toughest kids I've ever played with. He might not do everything the prettiest. He might not throw the hardest. I mean... He might not get on the best way. He might not be hitting bombs in the gap or anything like that. But, I mean, again, like I said earlier, there's no surprise that Braden came through there. I mean, last year had a great year. I mean, he's been, I think, what, this is his fifth year at the program, and he's been the same guy since day one. I mean, I mean, that, that was that's probably one of my favorite teammates, so I just wanted to give him a shout-out. Yeah. How many guys can go from, you know, pitcher to first base to center field in, like, a span yeah. of two days? So. Yeah. No, yeah. That, I mean, I think I literally saw him playing first, then center, and then he was throwing. And I'm like, what? I mean, even though that's kind of people are doing that more nowadays, I mean, he's doing it in a fashion that not many are able to do. So, yeah. And he's probably going to play a little bit more if Nick Anderson doesn't get out of his slump. So we'll have to see how that, you know, how that rolls. Dogwood Golf Club is a truly unique hybrid golf club conveniently located near Smyrna, Vinings, and Marietta. The course is hybrid because they offer both membership and daily fee play. Owl fans, be sure to mark your calendar. 
the Owls Collective has a golf tournament scheduled for Monday, June 10th at Dogwood Golf Club to raise money for KSU athletes. Go to OwlsCollective.com for more details. Dogwood is a longtime supporter of all things Kennesaw, so be sure to visit their website at DogwoodGolfClub.com. Dogwood Golf Club, an official sponsor of the Owl Chat Podcast. Going on to game number two. Uh, This game was played uh, about 45 minutes after game one completed. This was a regular nine-inning game on Saturday. Uh, This was a pitcher's battle that remained scoreless until the bottom of the sixth inning. The Owls wore down Longwood's starter, and he left the game uh, after 3.2 and 80 pitches onto their bullpen. Um, on the KSU side, Blake Ida had easily his best start of the season with 5.2 scoreless. KSU broke through first in the bottom of the sixth against the Longwood Pen, uh, scoring on a balk to make it one nothing Owls. Um, Nick Hassan added a pinch hit sack fly in the eighth to make it 2 nothing. Longwood was able to get a run in the ninth, but Hudson Mims was able to come in to get the one out save to seal the 2-1 to one Owls win. Uh, Blake Ida finished 5.2 scoreless, nine strikeouts, no walks, no walks. That's the big thing on 83 pitches. Uh, Bo Rudy vultured the win in relief. Braden Edson, Frank, Tanner Franklin, and Hudson Mims followed him to finish the game with, as I mentioned, Mims picking up the one out save. Uh, Donovan Cash had three of the five KSU hits, uh, which is not good seeing as how somebody, one person gets more than half of the hits. Uh, Jake Streeter in his first career start was one for two with a walk. Uh, Chris Cole pinch ran for Streeter in the sixth, got an extra base on a heads up play, which directly contributed to the Owls first run. Uh, so, guys, uh, we'll start with Alex Carballo. Uh, what was your what were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I think uh, we spoke a lot on the pitching side of things in game one. But I think uh, for this game, we kind of I mean, I kind of want to talk more about the hitting. I mean, I think their pitcher came out through a lot of pitches and didn't really capitalize. I mean, I th- see here no earned runs. So it's, I mean, what, what was really happening there? And from what I'm seeing, it's like uh, not really capitalizing early in the counts. So we're fouling off too many pitches. And I think, uh, I mean, I think I've seen the lineup shift a little bit over the last couple of games, especially, I mean, the whole year pretty much, I, yeah. right? I don't so, think we've I mean, had a steady lineup all year. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I, I think we're probably just looking for some sort of spark, somebody to actually just consistently just capitalize on pitches early in the count and not being stressed in, in stressful counts. Um, I mean, it's nice to work the pitcher, but when he comes out with no earned runs, it's tough to say you did a good job. Um, I mean, it's always a win when you can get it to the bullpen. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we just need to do a better job at, um, executing early in counts on the hitting side. So Nick Kalina, you got any uh, follow-up on that? Yeah. I mean, I saw the same thing. Um, I saw a lot of what in my opinion looked like indecision and hitter friendly counts and hitters chasing kind of crap breaking balls trying to trying to press to get something going then let just taking what's coming to you um and then with two strikes taking too good of pitches um from the broadcast and that angle it's like almost a gift with two strikes to try and just create something to happen where we're kind of just taking it waiting to get punched out um and it was kind of a theme this weekend but we'll, we'll continue to talk about that as this uh, weekend go develops but um and then it's like I think the the word for me is focus. I guess a little bit of focus. Uh, we had a ton of runners on base sprinkled throughout this two run game before we even broke it open. 
Um, and like Alex said, just waiting for that big hit. I don't know if they're pressing. They know that someone needs to do it, and they're just stressing to get it done. Um, I, I don't know. I can't. I'm not in their heads, but you you can't force that. Uh, I think you need to take you need to take what the pitcher gives you and go from there. And then just little things like, in my opinion, I would call Spencer Hansen among maybe two, three other hitters that I know as one of the more consistent, reliable guys in the lineup. And we get back picked at second base on, you see it on the live uh, live. It's like, how does that even happen? But, um, and you take the bat out of his hands with two outs where I think it was three, two on the back pick and became a three, two count. Um, I, I still like Hanson in that situation and it kind of got taken away from him to get it going again. But, um, just a little bit more focus, even like the PFP play early on, just extra pitches, um, just just that little extra effort to to focus in on what the job at task is. Um, but other than that, um, pretty or not, we came out with the W to set us up for a sweep on uh, Sunday, and that's all you can ask. I just know that come conference, would be my last thing. Come conference. If if a starter's riding out the way their starter was, he's going to go the whole game. Like you're not going to have the opportunity to see another arm until he gets himself in a in a jam. Um, so as a as an offense, we got to capitalize when we got runners on base, especially with less than two outs. Yeah, and um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, getting picked off on the back pick. Um, Shamar McDuffie. It happened uh, on a full count to Hanson, like you said. Uh, McDuffie was picked off uh, multiple times, I think in the same game recently. It might have been Jacksonville State. I'm not sure. Uh, but they went right after him today. They did an inside move, I think, uh, once. And then they had they did that successful back pick, which was actually a really smart play. But, um, you know, the catcher, he, he threw the pitch. The catcher got up like he was going to just throw it back to the pitcher pretty casually. Nothing, no real sense of urgency, like you're making a quick throw the second. He just gets up, tosses it, but instead of tossing it to the pitcher, he just kind of lofts it over him to the second baseman casually. And McDuffie was not even um, paying attention. His He did not even realize what was happening until the second baseman literally had the ball and was about an inch away from tagging him. Um, you know, these are kind of the attention to detail type plays. Um, getting picked off three times like that is really, it's not acceptable. Um, he's a freshman. He's playing better now. So I'm not going to be too rough on him. But, you know, he really needs to kind of, I guess, pay it. How do you correct base running? Is that just something in the in the film room? Is it just experience? Nick, how do you how do we improve this? Um, you know, it's just taking each rep and pregame BP or in practice when you get the opportunity to run the bases seriously. Um, I know that was sometimes an issue when I was there and it's just, it's just because base running is such a mundane thing to work on as a 18 to 24 year old. I mean, depending on how, how old you are, it's like, man, do I really got to do this? I, I'm more worried about my swings, um, stuff like that. But um, the opportunity is pregame and BP you run the bases and you have these situations and it's just taking those reps seriously. It's the littlest things of doing the right rep at a hundred percent and getting that work in, you know, tag up, take two, three hard steps and you can break it down just that focus. So when the game comes around, it's instinctive. Um, but going off Shamar, I mean, he's young. I would rather him have this learning, like learning moment now 
than FGCU or any of these conference games coming up later in the month. So that's good. I just don't, like I said, I was watching online. I didn't, I wasn't there, but maybe he saw something and was trying to get into the dugout or coach like picking the pants. I couldn't see all that, like picking the pants for permission to steal. I don't know. I, I, it's just kind of like what you said. I, I saw a, like a QB one type throw. And by the time the ball was there, he realized that the ball was right on top of him. And next thing you know, he's out. Um, yeah, he was taking, take, yeah, just taking the practice a little bit more seriously. So it will correlate in the game where you don't have to second guess yourself in those situations. Yeah. Alex. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm someone that's a big believer in thinking that base running is, is one of the things that a team can really uh, get a lot of energy from. Um, when I, I didn't really take base running serious until my freshman year of college, which I played at Broward college, uh, junior college. And, um, my coach, Ben busier, he, he had us every single day. We would stretch before we even throw, we're doing base running drills. And I'm not talking about like machine going into the outfield and you're reading balls. Like we were doing legitimate, like footwork, like serious stuff. And I mean, thankfully that, that kind of, uh, kind of evolved me into a really good base runner. Um, and I was able to, you know, translate it on the game. And I never, I never really lost that identity. Um, I, th- I kind of took a passion and I think that's more, I mean, when you, when you have a guy that's um, consistently, you know, kind of making base running mistakes, it's more of a, I'm not going to say someone doesn't care, but you, you need to really own it and, you know, have that identity that, Hey, I'm a good base runner. I'm gonna make a difference, move up on a pitch, you know, steal a bag, um, put pressure um, and then the best part about that is that your feed feeds off, uh, your team feeds off that, um, whether it's hitting, um, you know, translates to your defense the next inning, you know, you, you, you're kind of locked in, you know, so if you're locked in on the little things or it, it'll really translate to the rest of your game. Um, but to speak specifically on this one, I mean, yeah, I mean, a, a back pick at second base isn't, is, I mean, I wouldn't say it's acceptable. So um, I think it's more of a focus thing and, you know, owning owning it and holding yourself yeah. accountable out there. Yeah, and we're not picking on Shamar or anything like that. Without his base running and stealing that base in game one, we don't win that game or we very yeah. likely do not win that game. It's, uh, so we just want to kind of give him some slack here. Uh, we believe in him. He's doing a great job defensively at shortstop. He's getting a, you know, a little bit better in the field each week. He's smooth out there. He's getting better at the plate. Um, I mean, I he's better than anything we had last year, no matter senior, junior, or whatever. So um, I'm loving what we're seeing from the freshmen, aside from those mental uh, mental farts, so to speak. Um, there's one other play I wanted to mention, guys. Um, did you guys see that weird play in the fourth inning with the fly ball to Chirillo? Uh, let me kind of summarize what happened. Oh. It was so it was so ridiculous. Top of the fourth, a fly ball to Chirillo and medium to deep right center with one out. Um, I believe that Chirillo caught the ball and dropped it on the transfer. And judging how the runner that was at first base at the time, he reacted and sprinted back to the first base bag. He agreed with me, but that's not what the umpire saw. The umpire apparently ruled it a drop. So it ended up being a weird double play with lots of confusion all around. So it was ruled that it was not a catch. It was ruled a drop. Uh, But the batter who hit the ball actually passed the runner that was on first base as he was sprinting back to the bag to get back uh, in time before Torello can double him off. So he, but by the batter passing the runner that was on first, 
the batter's automatically out. And then the runner who was on first base thinks that he has to go to second because he thinks first base was occupied by the batter. So at that point, he's running and just trying to get to second base. There was nowhere to go. Uh, Corbin just tags him and he goes into the double play because he did not know that the runner was automatically out from passing him on the base path. So the Owls kind of got a gift there. And that is my defensive play of the game from Jackson Chirillo for game two. Um, <laughs> what did you guys uh, think on that? Was it a catch or was it a drop? I I had it as a catch. And with the way the umpires ruled it either way, it was favoring us in both situations, which is a total double bladed sword for Longwood there. Um, obviously, if it's on the transfer, like what they said, the runner takes off thinking, oh, he dropped it. Will you tag him at second base? Ball beats him, then you tag him double play. Or, um, well, actually, no, the other way around. If if Trillo caught it, then that happened. With, with the play that happened, happened. You tag him out, whatever. Well, if they say he drops it, well, that runner that hit the ball in play passed the base runner at second base or at first base getting the second base. So either way, it's a double play in our favor, and it's just – very unfortunate for Longwood. I think the umpires really fumbled the bag on that. But um are you sure? I, I thought they way, did it perfectly. <laughs> it, it worked out in our favor. I got a huge fan of it. It's any way to get out of an inning with uh minimal pitches is a is a complete W. But um definitely some chaos there with the umpire crew. And like I said, either way, no matter how they ruled that, it was gonna be a double play. So you can't really blame the umpires. Maybe bad coaching on Longwood's first base coach. Um, I don't know. That was just a tough play all around because nobody, it's just chaos. Nobody knows what yeah. to do. And it's, it's just kind of a game of musical chairs at that point. You just kind of pick a base and get lucky. Um, and, you know, they chose the wrong thing because if he just stayed at first base and didn't know what the hell was going on, you know, it's, you know, it's two outs. It's just basically the same result as if he caught it. So, um, but yeah, um, my theme for this game, honestly, you know, we didn't do jack shit offensively, um, but the coaches, I feel, pushed all the right buttons on this one and kind of willed the team to the win. I'd like to present uh, four points. Um, the first one is, uh, you know, I'm sorry, just to preface, we kind of gave the coaches a little bit of crap last week for, you know, some of the decisions with the pitching changes and all that. But, you know, we're just Monday morning quarterbacking over here. Um, there's different ways to go about each situation. But in the bottom of the six, Jake Streeter walked with two outs. Um, in continuing his theme of aggressively using his bench, Coach Ryan Co. pinch ran Chris Cole, who's the fastest guy in the team. Uh, Chirillo was at the plate, drew a walk, and Cole took third because the third baseman was near the second base bag on the shift, and Cole knew he could beat him to third in the foot race, seeing as how Cole's the fastest guy on the team. Um, Chirillo then got an early jump on his steal, trying to force the action, and drew a balk which scored Cole for the first run. This run was the direct result of Cole's speed, getting that extra base and uh, having the threat of speed at uh, third base to make the pitcher nervous. So the coaching staff, I guess, manufactured this run. My second example is in the top of the seventh with a one nothing KSU lead. Uh, KSU reliever Bo Rudy gave up a single and double to lead off the inning, and luckily uh, no run scored on those plays. But uh, Rudy struck out the third man to create second and third with one out. The Owls went to Braden Edson in relief, who induced a lazy fly ball to right and then another fly ball to get out of it. That's another button that the coaches pushed correctly, whereas, you know, kept in Bo Rudy. I mean, who knows what could have happened? Maybe the Owls give up some more runs. 
The third point was in the top of the eighth. Uh, Longwood got a single, followed by an error on Edson on the mound to make it first and second with no outs. Edson got a pop-up for the first out. The Owls went to the bullpen and brought in Tanner Franklin for his for the second time of the day, seeing how it's a doubleheader. Uh, he started off with a balk, but then got two strikeouts to avoid any damage. Again, the move was made just at the right time, and it was the right move um, in, in hindsight. And the last point was, in the top of the ninth, Franklin loaded the bases with two outs. This was Franklin's second inning of the game. I remember he worked the first end of the doubleheader, and I feel the coaches gave Franklin, you know, the perfect amount of leash to give him a fair shake to get out of it, but not enough to implode. And that's kind of that, the fence you're straddling there. They brought in Mims with one out to get. Mims uh, walked the first guy, but induced the fly ball to right field to end it. So there's four situations right there that are kind of like 50-50 type deals, and we made the right move each time. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. Um, I noticed one of the Longwood players got on the tarp sitting by third base to, you know, try and make a catch on a fly ball. Um, is that allowed? What is the rule on that, uh, Nick or Alex? Yeah, I think it's uh, <clears throat> I think it's considered a live ball. Um, so, I mean, I'm not against it. I think any way you can make the play within the fences, make it happen. So, So I do umpire a lot of high school ball. And I understand the actual rule to this. You have to be either like leaving your feet to make the play in like a dead ball area. You can't be planted in the dead ball area. If you're in foul territory, moving that way, making your way to the ball, that's okay. You can make that play on the ball all day. So it all depends on whatever they decided on at the plate meeting. If they said that the tarp and everything over there was in play, I mean... I don't know what Coe's ground rules are. You guys might know that more. But to my knowledge, if you're planted on top of the tarp and it's out of play, you shouldn't be able to have that play count. Nick Colina, do you have a uh, tiebreaker on this? Yeah. Um, usually it's one foot on, one foot off if, if you go to make a play. Um, in that situation, unless the ground rule decisions have changed, uh, that would have been just a dead ball. Um, you have to either a one foot on one foot. Like you usually cannot be on the tarp. You can kind of like use your leg to kind of like male dog, like pee on it kind of a thing like that kind of move. But um, if you're both, like if you're stagnant and on the tarp, it'd be a dead ball. And now if the, the, the position player is running full speed into the tarp and kind of like speared into the stands, like a Jeter play or something, obviously, then that's clean. But um that would have been a dead ball if that play was made. Are you allowed to push yourself hypothetically like on the outfield fence up with one arm and kind of like lift yourself up and to hang on there for yes. a second to make a catch? Yes. So, yeah, this, there's just, a, I guess it depends on what's counted as in play. So I guess the outfield fence is more in play than the tarp. So um, going on to another rule question I thought was interesting. In the eighth inning on Chris Cole's bunt hit, he kind of flipped the bat in the direction of the catcher's path. Um, are there any rules for bat flips? Um, how does that how does that work? Nick, you might know more on this. Producer um, Nick. Producer Nick. You're talking about John. You're talking about not a celebratory bat flip. You're just talking about letting the bat leave your hands, correct? Yes, like you can like bunting it and then just kind of spinning it, um, you know, into like if the bat kind of just lands near the catcher or kind of near the 
play or in the way? I mean, can I mean, can you strategically kind of flip it towards the direction of the play? It, no, you, know, you cannot. Sure. That, that's considered interference, and the batter would be ruled out. Um, same thing goes for if you intentionally make contact with the catcher with your any part of your body or the bat. So, like the backswing, like if it's unintentional, you're not going to get called out for that most times, unless it's interfering with a play that's going on. So, if the catcher's trying to pick someone off and your backswing hits his arm, then you'll be called out, or the base runner, I'm sorry, would be ruled out and you would stay in the box because you interfere with the play but if you're doing that like yeah you you can't flip it flip it in that direction but the the issue is it's all up to umpire discretion and if you don't have the right umpire or they don't see it the way that you saw it, it you're just going to sit there and argue about it yeah it's kind of on the fly so if the ball like the bat on the flip hit the ball obviously that'd be interference um if the catcher was like really good in Hollywood and like kind of like tripped over the bat and like ran into it. It'd be a dead ball, but um, usually instincts kick in. And the only thing on your mind is to go get that baseball. So you get away with it more times than you don't um, where I thought in this situation, Cole, whether he meant to or not, did a really good job there um, just because it's like a, it's, it's an obstacle in the way for the catcher to approach the baseball. And then kind of like what uh, other Nick said, if it also depends on who's back there behind the plate. If you have a guy that's looking to have a reason to cause some chaos that that could have been called, but more times than not, um, that's such a on the fly move and play and call and everything in one that you get away with it more times than not. So like, personally, I like that same thing with like bunning. If you put your back foot, your back foot doesn't have to be in the box. It usually gets missed. Like they can't see that. So you can get away with little things like that. And that's the difference of, covering the plate and missing the outer half. So like little things like that. Unless the umpire's up your ass, they're not calling that. Like they're not going to notice it. It's, it's so in the moment. You you nailed it. Exactly. Yeah. They're focused on that pitch that's coming in and then the ball being put in play at the end of the day. Awesome. So I think we covered game two sufficiently. We forgot to ask the player of the game for game one. So we'll get back to that after game three, but for game two guys, who's your player of the game. We'll go around the room to, to, I guess everyone here, uh, we'll start off with actually producer Nick. You know what? We'll let you start this one off. Who's your player of the game? Yeah, I think it's going to Nick Hassan. You, you come up in a pinch hit opportunity, you get an RBI. Like I, Pinch hitting for me is one of the hardest things to do. And I wasn't a good enough fielder in high school to, uh, to ever see the field. So I did a lot of pinch hitting late in the game because all I could do is hit. Pinch hitting is so freaking difficult. And if you can do it successfully and drive in runs successfully from that position, you deserve all the praise in the world. So I'm, I'm giving player of the game to Hassan, honestly. All right. Uh, Nick Polina, who do you got? That's one of the guys that was on my list. Um, Hassan, same, same exact reason. Uh, sitting on the bench after playing a full seven and then coming back out after playing. So you're already tired. And then coming in, in the eighth, I think it was the first pitch, first or second pitch, um, just hitting a ball to left field. I, I think he did it twice in the span of two games. I think this one was to left field and uh, just got the job done. He gave it a little like bat flip. I don't know if it was frustration uh, for just missing the pitch or knowing that he got the job done with McKenzie at third, but that was crucial. And then I really did enjoy seeing um, – Tanner Franklin extending his outing a little bit after shutting the door in game one and 
kind of picking right off. And I know Mims uh, finished the job for him, but that was good. And then there's a the heads up play. I, I can go three ways for me. Seriously. Chris Cole going first is third was the difference of breaking that game open. You're struggling to score runs. I think that was a predetermined play where if Trilla walked with that shift, I know I can make it to third. And, um, but I think all in all with the way the box score looks and everything, I would have to agree with Nick and pick his song, but I, I did have three bright moments throughout that game. Um, I'm Alex Carvalho. Who's your take? I'll give it to the starting pitcher, Aida. So, um, I mean, he, he went five and two thirds, kept the game close. I mean, the bats didn't do much through five innings. And I mean, he went five and two thirds scoreless with nine punch outs. So, um, <clears throat> I know he didn't, you know, fit the game in kind of the winning direction, but he, he kept us in it. So I'll, I'll give it to him. Yeah. Um, mine is Blake Ida as well. I was surprised neither of you guys, uh, before Alex mentioned that, uh, I mean, nine strikeouts, no walks. And that's kind of where he's been struggling recently as well. Um, also, go ahead, Nick. The issue, John, is you came to me first. I usually expect to be the last person in the rotation. So I figured that everyone would have already talked about Ida by then. So <laughs> you, you, let, you hung me out to dry, John. I blame you. Blake right. Ida, I support you fully. I will promise. I to do too. Last. <laughs> My only reason I'm offensive minded. I'm just kidding. Nick hates <laughs> pitchers. He discriminates against them. And, you know, so I guess all, it's a Nick uh, thing. All you, you pitchers out there all together, send Nick Colina hate mail. You can send it to me and I will forward all your pitcher hate mail to Nick Colina. Um, so Nick, you, you were teammates with Blake Ida. Everything I hear about him is he's a, a good leader and it was a mature kid for a freshman. Is that, is that correct? Yes. He's uh very, very determined in his uh, work and what he's trying to get done day to day. And it's not really a vocal leader, which is in my opinion, one of the better leaders. Um, he's not going to bark at you. It's not going to be like, ah, oh, here we go. Like he's just saying it to be heard by the coaches or anything like that. He's kind of a leader through action and through his work. And because of that, when he does speak up, people respect that because they know he's not just some kind of BS or, and just trying to be heard. He, when he says something, he means it. So uh, I can vouch for that. Yeah. Blake seems like a good kid and very happy to have him here at Kennesaw after dominating the, well, not dominating, but doing very well in the Cape Cod league. And that's my transition to game number three, Smith Pinson, who was his teammate in the Cape John, Cod. let's wait. I know that was a great transition, but let's actually circle back and get player of the game for game one out of the way now before we start game three. All right. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do game one uh, player of the game. Let's kind of uh, back it up there. Uh, remember, we had the uh, 5-4 uh, win. Braden Edson had the go-ahead RBI. McDuffie, two for two with a walk, stolen base, and two runs. And you had the uh, Braden Osbalt outing as well and the Tanner Franklin save and the Ryan Renfro sixth inning for the win. Um, let's go with somebody different this time and go with Nick Colina. Who's your player of the game for game one? I'm going to have to go with uh, Spencer Hansing tying the game. Uh, four, four, uh, pinch hit off the bench. It's a tough situation. I, like I said, I, if this nickname sticks, I don't know, but he's Mr. Reliable for me. And, um, I had confidence when his number was called It's personally a great decision by coach co and he got it done and the momentum rode in our favor. And eventually Braden came up with the big hit, which is just as important. So shout out Braden, but 
in the way the game was going, I'm I'm giving it to Spencer Hansen here. Awesome. Alex Carbayo. Yep. I'll give a co-player of the game to Spencer and Braden. Um, I didn't get to play with Spencer, but knowing him as a person, I, I mean, and just watching the games, he, you could tell he shows the field the same way. I mean, even when he's not in the lineup, has a great attitude. Um, so it's awesome to see him, you know, tie the game. And then obviously I spoke on uh, Braden during our game one recap. And uh, I mean, he, he's just, he's just a dog. I mean, he just gets the job done. So just want to make sure he gets the recognition there. And I am going to give the correct answer here, fellas. Um, not that yours were wrong, but I will give the more correct answer, as they would say on uh, perhaps a standardized test. Jamari Brooks. Thank you. I'll bow right now. Thank you very much. Uh, Nick Massaroni, who is yours? I'm actually going back into the bullpen. You give up four runs early. Osbolt pitched really well, but to, to come in, you only face eight batters between the two guys. Like, they, they shut the game down. They shut the game down, and there was – there was really nothing in question there. So credit Ryan Renfro with the win, Franklin with the save, and you're on to the next one. All good answers, fellas. So let's move on to uh, let's move on to game three. Uh, Smith Pinson on the mound for KSU. The Owls struck first with an RBI ground out from Streeter to score the only KSU run of the game. Pinson cruised through seven scoreless, but ran into some trouble in the eighth. The game was tied at one with a runner on second with two outs when the Owls went to the bullpen for Hudson Mims, who couldn't get anything going. Uh, the, Mims struggled. The Owls went to Ryan Renfro, who had about as much in the tank as Mims. Neither recorded an out, and Daniel Powell had to come in to finish the inning. By the time all was said and done, the Owls were down five to one after eight. And the runner Mims inherited uh, from Pinson was the nail in the coffin and also was the nail in the coffin for Pinson's line. And he picked up his third loss. Very hard luck loser. Longwood added one more in the final inning to make it a 6-1 final. The Owls still ended up taking two of three on the weekend. Uh, Pinson was absolutely tremendous. As I mentioned, seven innings that cruised through. But, uh, you know, with the bullpen being used so heavily in the past two days and a doubleheader on Saturday, um, we didn't have enough left in the tank to cross the finish line. Uh, the offense, or lack thereof, was the story again on Saturday, carrying over from Game 2 on Sunday. Uh, the only player to reach base safely more than once, I believe, was Jackson Chirello, who was 2-for-3 with the walk. Um, not on the scoreboard, but would be a tremendous bare hand play by Isaac Bouton at third base. Let's not forget about that one. Um, easily a top three uh, play of the weekend in the field for KSU. Uh, so... Let's go around the room for general thoughts. Alex Carbayo. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> lineup obviously didn't do a great job the last game, you know, of just coming out ready to hit. I mean, you have two wins on the weekend. And I mean, uh, I think it's the other team's going to come to the field desperate to play. Uh, so you got to come out, you know, ready to hit. And I mean, I think they only had two guys come out of the pen with, you know, the the second guy going five innings from what I see here. So uh, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that it crumbled this way uh, just to end the weekend with a loss. Uh, but yeah, I mean, kind of just to speak on more of what I was talking about earlier, I think early in the counts just got to capitalize on good pitches. I think um, overall just fouling off way too many fastballs early in the count. And uh I think we're not, again, we're not stringing together hits. Um, so 
Yeah. Uh, Nick Colina, what's your take on uh, game three? Kind of the same thing Alex said, and I'll get back to it. Um, I really, really, really was happy for Pence in there. You know, a little bit of tough luck those first two starts. And, man, he cruised. He he came out with the loss, but it, if, you, if you're just a stat sheet guy, the stat sheet wins and losses. Like, that doesn't dictate the outing he had. Uh, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, really, really good outing. Um, and then just kind of piggybacking off Alex. Um, same thing he said, missing the fastball. But I also thought, you know, especially off the the, the reliever, we took a lot of fastballs early off him um, in the count over the plate, like lefties. He was coming in early to lefties that we were taking, heaters. Um, I don't know if it's just lack of information on the guy. I think he was a senior, so you got to have something on him. But just, just having a plan and trust in it. Um, too many guys today were, um, well, it was a little bit better than it was throughout the weekend, but a lot of pop-ups was just can of corn, um, ground balls, slow roller dribbler, stuff like that, where we're in hitter counts and you're trying to get your money's worth. And I felt like we were just being a little bit more passive than we were, uh, a little bit of both, but it's passive when we need to be aggressive and then over aggressive when we needed to work in that bad or certain situations like that. So, but, um, the highlight for me, though, was really seeing Smith be dominant on the mound today. Yeah, Nick, I didn't know that you could see when pitches are inside or outside um, with our camera angle. That's why he walks so much. Yeah, you can't you can't cheat this high, and I I didn't even watch without contacts. So I mean, I, I know this place like the back of my mind, but um, you could see where the cats are set up. I try to cheat off that. Up and down's tough. In and out, I could see pretty good. So something that I want to throw in there too, you guys both make really good points. I mean, there was some pretty good hard contact from the batters late in the game. The unfortunate part was it, they were ended up in gloves and like that, not really much you're going to do with that. I mean, you're, you're making okay contact. Yeah. You're not working counts and it, that's, that's going to hurt at the end of the day. But there were some, some screamers that I saw off the bat today that just found leather. And I, I was like, that's not ideal. I mean, and credit to Longwood too. They played decent defense in that game. I was there for the tail, uh, the tail end of the game, and the the play that actually ended the game. I want to give their shortstop uh, Campanelli credit. He made an unbelievable throw uh, right back to second base, off balance, going backwards, and uh, that was just impressive. He had a he had a good day over at at, at short. Um, so, you know, you win two. You lose the last one, yeah, it's not great, but bat, bats were reaching the balls. It, it's not like we were just like not going up there and not making any contact whatsoever. So yeah, you shake this one off and you you move on to the next one. Yeah, and something I wanted to talk about a little bit, Jake Streeter got his second career start and second in a row. Um, right-handed hitter, outfielder, sophomore. Uh, didn't play much last year, kind of sparingly. It was kind of like a developmental year. Uh, Nick Colina, I'm sure knows Jake. Um, what can you tell us about him? Why is he getting, you know, time over Spencer Hansen? If I were to guess, it's his bat. Uh, he's, he had a gifted bat coming in as a freshman too. Uh, big bat, so to speak as well. Um, he has, he hasn't shown it yet. And if he gets his opportunity, I'm sure there'll be a given moment where you, you all owl fans will get to see it. He's, he's got kind of the same, 
tool type set that Hanson has where he can hit a ball on the Bailey or go backside over the scoreboard too. That's kind of like Jake Streeter's MO. Um, good bat. Um, you know, the only thing that could be something for him down the road and you might want to chop this. I don't know, but he, he, he crosses himself up sometimes in the box, but when he's, when he's attacking his pitch, he's, he's a tough out, very similar to Spencer Hansen. And I think if the coaches want him to stick around, they gotta, they gotta play the guy and find a way to get him on the field. Um, you know, kind but it says a lot to me what they think of him right now by getting him in there over a guy like Spencer Hansen, you know, two games in a row. So he must be doing something right, you know, in practice. So last but not least, uh, Owls third base coach Brad Tyler and hitting coach was not there today. Just a random note. Um, and before we get to the player of the game, I just want to point out some uh, trivia question shenanigans uh, that I was texting with Nick Colina during the game. Uh, Trey Fowler, the Owls announcer, um, every game, every home game, he asks a trivia question and, uh, he says, you know, text him, uh, tweet him the correct answer. So his question was something along the lines of before Isaac Bowton, uh, prior to Isaac Bowton, who was the last owl to hit a home run in their first game playing for the owls? And the correct answer, according to Trey Fowler was Mason Jones, but when when I answered the question, I put Nate Anderson, who homered one inning before Isaac Bowton. Coach Fowler did not acknowledge that I got it correct, um, but he did change the question uh, after I tweeted that at him to clarify. So, Coach Fowler, quit playing Calvin Ball and give me my credit. Um, but uh, no, I just wanted to kind of point that out and give Nate Anderson his due. And uh, Nick Kalina got his uh, trivia question answer right the night before. Yeah, uh, I, I really thought you took that one home. Uh, I, I knew Anderson homered that game, but in my mind, I was thinking that some of the boys I play with, and if Mason, you listen to this, I got your back, homie. Uh, I remember it was his first at bat as an owl, so to speak. Uh, he, he yanked one off Moorhead State on the second second game of the doubleheader on that Saturday. We had a four-game set with him, and he smoked one right by that right, uh, right field uh, light pole. And we went ballistic for him. And if you look at his stat sheet, I mean, his home, his at bat, the home run ratio is like through the roof. It might yeah. be the highest all time if that stat mattered. But um, shout out my boy Mason. And if we're going off of uh, the credit of the question, the, you should have gotten the point there. Thank you. You heard that. You heard that from your former player, Coach Fowler. So uh, <laughs> you know, please reconsider. I beg of you. No, we love Coach Fowler. Thank you so much for doing the games and you know giving us uh, some a voice to listen to each and every weekend. So we appreciate uh, that. Uh, so let's go to uh, game or player of the game for game three. Let's go around the room. Uh, we'll start with Nick Kalina. I'm going to throw a curveball in here, and uh, I think it's an obvious one for us, and I'm going to have to go with Smith Penson. There's no reason. The stat sheet shows the way he threw was uh, incredible, and I, I feel for him coming out with the loss on that. Uh, all in all, it was a very, very good outing, and I, I know it. The offense will pick you up here come the warmer, warmer weeks. I, I know it. Do I even have to ask you other guys who it is, or can we all just say Smith Pinson and kind of move on? It's Smith Pinson. I uh, I'm gonna give the correct answer here. I know this is a pro KSU podcast, but um, I mean, I think it's the reliever from Longwood. I mean, I'm not. I'm gonna give him credit where it's due. He went five innings, one hit, seven punch outs. Like, I mean, I'm gonna give the guy credit. I mean, 
he uh he definitely you know suppressed the bat so all um, hate mail can now be redirected to Alex Carbio. You can send it to at KSU Owl Howl. I will send them all and I will forward them all to his email. So go for it. I was going to say, is, is Alex intentionally taking his opportunity on the Owl Chat podcast? Uh, <laughs> I think he's Alex really made me dodge a bullet right there. I appreciate it. <laughs> I was going to say, he, he doesn't make me feel as bad now for pointing out the shortstop's play. So I appreciate that. <laughs> We have some no, guys just, auditioning here for the Longwood chat uh, podcast here. So just don't uh, just don't be sending the hate mail to my work email. So, OK, send it to his personal email. I will do just. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty much all we have for games one through three. Just uh, some final questions um, I wanted to ask. Uh, guys, how does all the lineup changing every single game and. You know, we have an embarrassment of riches, even though they don't always hit and we're having some struggles. We have guys that can play and we have bats, but we're having to change it up each game to, uh, you know, make get everybody happy. You know what I mean? And I feel like, you know, if you try to make everyone happy, nobody's happy. Do we have to just just bite the bullet and pick a lineup and go with it, you know, three, four games in a row? Or can we just keep? you know, switching it up and moving guys around. Um, I'll start with uh, Nicolina. Uh, I think when in this situation right now we're at in the year, it sets you up to put the right lineups out come conference. So there's none of these growing pains. But I think an old saying is like, you know, a new car looks good and smells nice but you, you don't know how reliable it is. And that old car that's got 250,000 miles on it, it's chugging along and you never had a problem with it, but you went and get something that that's new and looks good. Um, sometimes you got to stick with the the guys that have um, put, put stuff up for you in the past. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of these young guys and the development like this three week first month gap of the season is crucial for them to get their feet in the water and get a feel for the game. But personally for me, I mean, I'm not there at practice. I'm not there at BP. I I, I wonder, like, you get the A-Sun nominations in Hanson. He's not playing every game. It's just a question mark for me, and it's not a concern. I know Coach Coe is going to get it right, but um, I, I think there's a time and point where these guys do need to get in a rhythm with who they're working with. And um, I, I'm sure here come this weekend, I think Kentucky this weekend. Am I right there at Kentucky yeah. or moving forward the next week? We will start to see that. But um, again, it also leaves up in the air that there's not going to be any uh, upset uh, Jersey numbers because uh, there's been a lot of opportunity. So, yeah, I feel kinda... like there's somebody is going to get left out pretty much every game that perhaps deserves to start just by, you know, they don't play the position that we need them to play in order to get in there. So every, you know, of course, you know, you're going to have Edson, Cash, Hanson, Nate Anderson, you know, they all can't play. And, you know, I, I guess now is, I guess you're right. Now would be the time to do it before conference play. But I mean, I kind of feel like we need to, you know, kind of have a steady lineup versus lefties and maybe a steady lineup versus righties. So we know what to expect. Guys know when they're going to be in once conference starts, at least for the for the weekend series. Alex Carbio, do you kind of agree with that? Or, you know, what's your take on all these changing lineups? Yeah, I think um, 
I was always one to think that, I mean, you can't be changing lineup too much just because then guys get to the field antsy after BP, they walk up to the board and, you know, they don't know where they're hitting. And I mean, I, I think it's just something that um, maybe the line should be released the day before the game. Um, I don't know what code does. I mean, I know you play with him, Nick, but um, I think when you're changing it that much, I think it just gets people a little antsy, especially if they don't know if they're going to be in the lineup. It's different if you know you're going to be in the lineup and then you're just coming up and down. Um, but I think uh, they're just, I think they're just trying to get guys going like Zach Corbin. I mean, that guy's definitely going to be a start of the rest of the year. I mean, he has a lot of experience on the team and then um, a guy like Donnie Cash and Shirello. So, um, I think trying to get those guys going at full throttle and, you know, um, especially a guy like Corbin, I mean, he's probably gonna end up hitting around 300 at the end of the year, but, um, he's, he's someone we got to get going. Uh, and that's just one example, Alex Corbin's been anywhere from eight to two to one, just all over the lineup. And there's been no consistency for him. And I, you know, he's been some games, he's been brilliant. Other games, he's just completely laid on fastballs. And, you know, I, I, you know, we just don't know what to expect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of vets in the lineup. I think, I think in the next week or two, you'll probably get something that um, is probably what you're gonna. It's probably gonna be a shell of what the lineup's gonna be by the end of the year. Um, but again, what Nick said about Spencer, I think uh, he's the guy that has a lot of abs with the team. I mean, he's on the regional team and all that stuff. So I think he he's a guy that probably, in my opinion, should be in the lineup every day. Um, I know you said he had some ace and honors and all that, but aside from all that, he's a guy that just brings a lot of energy. And from what I'm seeing, I think there there needs to be someone that owns that portion of like there needs to be someone that just step up steps up and you know is gonna show up to the field every day, ready to hit, ready to play. And I think, I mean, Spencer's that guy. You know, he's never gonna waver from who he is he's high energy happy-go-lucky type guy just shows up and swings a damn bat so um my opinion he's probably someone that should be in there every day but yeah know. we'll have to we'll have to see like i said you know it's it's really one of those situations where in 2022 when we kind of thrived we didn't have any depth at all so everybody knew they were going to be in there every day and eventually settled on where they'd be in there now you know you're you're trying to make a lot of people happy with you know, so few spots. And if, as long as everybody's staying healthy, it's, it's hard to do that. You know, we have some pitching injuries, you know, the, the outfield injuries are, that's what we could take a few of if we had to, but you know, um, we just need to get guys. Don't you room. dare speak that into existence, John. You know I what swear. I mean? We have the depth there. <laughs> Cut that out if you want. I don't care. But if, but yeah, I, I will feel really bad if we do get an outfield injury now. Um, but, uh, I just want to ask you guys a couple more quick questions before we finish up is two of three, a successful weekend at home when you win the first two. I think uh, given it's the opening home weekend, um, I think coming out with a series win is, is, is fine. Um, but I think the, the trajectory that this program is going in, obviously um been recruiting well and all that. I think I think we got to take three versus nothing against Longwood. Um, they have a couple of good players that I saw. I think we definitely have to take three from them. Um, and it also sets the sets the tone going into next week against Kentucky, um, especially when you go win a big game Friday against Clemson. You lose two, come back, um, beat Jacksonville State, and then kind of leave the end of your week with a sour taste in your mouth, losing. 
um, that sweep game. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I have high standards and I would be kind of just salty of not sweeping that. Um, but I guess you can, you can say it's a successful weekend, I guess. So. Yeah. Uh, Nick Colina, do you agree? Obviously when you take two out of three, you want to sweep, but I'm going to take a little bit of a stretch here and say, I felt like Longwood kind of outplayed us all weekend. So taking two out of three is a massive W seriously. Um, Obviously, the goal any weekend, conference, anything like that, the goal is obviously to win the series. So two out of three, I'm going to keep that template. I'm not going to switch up. Um, that's 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 obviously a successful weekend. But in a situation where you can sweep a team, you have to sweep a team because there might be a hiccup um, down, the, down the road where you drop one out of two or two out of three and you win one out of three uh, to a team that you should have won a series two and those sweeps come into play and obviously solidify your spot in the tournament. Um, but I would say it was a successful weekend strictly because I, I personally thought, and it's no, dis, I, I know it sounds hateful, but I thought we got outplayed this weekend outside of the performance from the starting rotation and the, and the, <clears throat> sorry, and the relievers and then some of, some of the bats, but two out of three is a win. Yeah, I mean, two run one run games, but you know, if you combine the scores, they obviously have the you know the differential. But then again, last week versus Clemson, we had the run differential, but they won two games, and I think I would rather be on you know the end that wins two games to put it that way. Um, Nick Mazzaroni, do you have a take on this? No, I will defer to the two players who uh, <laughs> who who lived it and breathed it for as many years as they did so didn't you play mlb the show or something i mean you got you know some experience <laughs> right that's a that's gm experience okay gotcha <laughs> uh, so I, I will say i will say one more thing on that on, on just sundays in general sundays are about who wants it more and i don't know if you guys remember what i said early in the podcast um that the other team come they, they came out more desperate today i think I, I think sundays sundays are always about who wants it more like who who shows up ready to play from when they start stretching and all that stuff. I mean, it's kind of disappointing that I think I mean, I think Donnie was the only one that did something at the play today. So um, the tip the cap to their pitchers on the other side, but I think we just just got to show up. In 2022, we were the grimy dirtbags. We pride ourselves on you know playing like that and never giving up and fighting. Uh, Nick Colina, do you think we need a little bit more of that? Do you see any? like lack of grit or lack of pride or anything, or is it too early? It's definitely too early. I think we're 12 games in out of 55. Um, so there's obviously a lot of ball left to be played. Um, I think it's funny you brought up that identity in 22. Uh, I think this team is trying to find what they want to be. Um, I I know for a fact that we tried to replicate what that regional team was last year and it just didn't work out uh just different different players um and not because they didn't buy in it's just it, it changes year to year with what you got in the arsenal um sh sure i think every team needs to be grimy um i know cash young if he listens is gonna get fired up i can see him moving his head right now but um you know, uh, I think grinding the aspect of just being perfect on the routine. And if you mess up, you make the next play. You don't really care. That's kind of like the grimy esque that we carried is like, 
if something goes wrong, we get hit in the mouth. Well, guess what? We're coming back with the left and a right next inning. So um, it's, it, it's, it's not uh, seriously like being a grimy dirt bag is not for everyone. And I think this team needs to do a good job of a not trying to be that 22 team like we did last year and be finding your identity while you got time because the season's still very long. Yeah. Each team has its own personality. I mean, you can't, you can't try to mimic something from previous years. I mean, there's, there's different, uh, there's different between culture and like a team's identity. Like I, I'm, it's not a baseball reference, but like you watch the Baltimore Ravens play, you know, they're, you're going to get a fo- tough football team. Right. Um, I think uh, just talking, talking about the grit and all that stuff. I think a guy like Zach Corbin and him being on is exactly what this team might be missing. Um, just looking at the lineup, but Braden Edson, he's more of a quiet guy. He's going to do his thing, get on base and just be make an impact that way. And then um, Donnie cash feeds off energy of everyone else. If everyone else is in, in a good mood, good vibes, Donnie cash is going to be, he's going to be rolling. And then Nick Hassan's also kind of that guy you plug in and he, he's going to do his thing and just catch a good game. Um, but then if I, if I look at the rest of the lineup, I don't really know many of the other guys, but I think a guy like Zach Corbin, the way he plays the game, going to get his hands dirty. Once he gets going, this team might have a different identity. So, um, I agree. I agree there. I think Corbin's going to be a big part. Uh, so let's close out our show with a final segment, a new segment that we're going to have every week. And I will swing it over to uh, producer Nick to intro this segment. So gentlemen, the game is simple. We're handing out our bag awards. So this will be a segment that recurs on every uh, series recap episode. You're going to give out three different awards for the series. Your best or favorite bat, favorite arm, and favorite glove. So bat just means pure hitting. Arm means pitching. Glove means fielding. So I let you guys think on this for a second. I'll swing it to John for his answers first. Sure. Um, so for the bat, man, I, I have to I have to give it to uh, Braden Edson just for the three for three game on Friday and uh, driving in that that winning run um, for the arm. I'm going to give it to I, I think there are a few worthy candidates. You could go with Ida. You could go with Pinson. You could make an argument for Tanner Franklin. But, you know, since he was 0 for three now. I'm giving it to Smith Pinson sort of as like a like a, a pity award. So you get my vote, Smith. Uh, thank you for your service. Uh, and glove, um, Jamari Brooks. Have to, you know, keep up with that. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Nicolina. Who do you got? Yeah, so for my bat, I already kind of have my answers too. I'm gonna double down on Braden Edson. Uh three for three game, that one game. Um, it gets shadowed today. He was over, but a warmer, warmer game at first at bat to Homer. He, I don't recall second at bat, but then the third at bat, he went backside, good swing, grabbed some pine, tough luck. And then his last at bat, he hit one on the nose or I'm, I'm mixing them up, but I know the results, a hard line out to second base. So, I mean, he's hitting the ball hard. He's spraying it around. Uh, so I'm going to go with Braden there. Uh, pitcher for me. I'm going to, I'm going to ride with Smith Pinson. I really enjoyed watching him throw today. Um, my runner up, my, uh, honorary nominee would be Tanner Franklin. 
And then uh, my glove, I'm going to mix it up. Jamari was stellar, phenomenal. Um, I'm going to go with Nick Hassan. Um, made a lot of really good, like, it, it's something you want to do. It's not a choice. It's like you either got to love blocking baseballs or you're just okay. It's like a determination thing. And he smothered a lot of balls to keep runners at respective bases and then made a couple really good plays on pop-ups uh, that were playing with like the net or the dugout. And then um, just making every throw and drop third strikes. Like he was really active and very good. So I'm going to give mine to Nick Hassan. Alex Carballo, who do you have? The bat, I'm going to have to go Braden. I think I've given him a couple of shout outs throughout the episode, but um, Braden at game one, having go ahead hit and then going three for three and then also hitting the hitting the ball hard all today pretty much. So um, that that swing backside today was really nice. Um, and then also, I mean, he's just one of my boys. So um, really like watching Braden play. Um, for arm, I'm going to go Aida. I think, uh, I mean, being able to throw basically six innings, scoreless ball, um, keep the team in the game. And then obviously the bats opened it up a little bit uh, to win uh, game two. And then uh, for a glove, I like how Nick brought up or Nick Cleaner brought up uh, Nick Hassan. I mean, I, I'm i one that really appreciates. And I don't know if you guys can tell my tone. I, I really appreciate a guy that can just show up to the field, play, do the dirty stuff right, um, and go about his business. So I, I really like that shout out for Nick Hassan. But I'm going to have to go Brooks because of the, those two plays. Um, he, he, those are ended up being crucial to, to get a win. So uh, I'm going to go. Glove of the glove of the weekend was um Jamari. Awesome. Uh producer Nick, who do you got? Um, I'm the only one who's a little different on the bat. Um, I actually went Hassan for the bat. He combined for two RBIs in both of the wins. So if you're getting RBI production from the catcher position, which is historically not known for 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 necessarily being the best bat in the lineup, that's that's impressive. So I'm I'm happy to see him swinging it early this year, uh getting the ball in play. Um, I think I'm giving, uh, Tanner Franklin, my arm, uh, just, just because I'm uh, like, I know where this is the Longwood series too, but I was really hoping for that immaculate ending against JSU. So I won't even lie. Like Ida got his flowers. I'm, I'm giving it to Tanner Franklin. Um, um I'll allow and then, it. thank you. And then, uh, I'm going Jamari Brooks with the glove as well. I mean, you could, you could hear the excitement in, uh, in Trey's voice when he made that play out in left field. So it's, uh. Hard to not give them the nod. Awesome, awesome. So, yeah, those are our awards for the week. Um, I'm I'm happy with getting the two out of three. Uh, next week we have uh, Belmont on the midweek. It's either what uh, I think it's Wednesday in Nashville, and then we'll probably go right to uh, Kentucky. I'm sure they plan that one out travel wise. Uh, so we got three games against the SEC to uh, kind of prove ourselves again, um, see what we can do. So I'm really hoping the team can refocus you know, get their shit right at the plate, figure out, you know, improve their approaches, whatever they have to do. You know, if we hit like we did in games two and three, we're not going to have much fun next weekend. So, but again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, On behalf of producer Nick Masseroni, uh, Alex Carballo, and uh, Nick Colina, thank you for uh, joining us. We hope to have you guys back. Uh, We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Owl Chat Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow our hosts on Twitter X at Kai Millette and at KSU Owl Howl. 
make sure you're following our show account at Owl Chat Podcast and have notifications turned on so you're up to date on all new OCP episodes. Be sure to check out Kai's publication at BigOwlBlog.com and John's KSU message boards at KSUOwlHowl.com slash forum. Until we return, stay happy, stay healthy, and as always, Go Owls!